0: the message. And in scripture, scripture is filled with songs, praises and hymns and worship to the Lord. And this evening, we're going to look at several songs with a with a central motif. And the first where we're going to start off, basically, singing is so important. It's part of our worship. Remember, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce said once, the problem with our generation today is that nobody sings anymore. No one sings praises to God, and singing is not what it used to be. In Scripture, singing was the form of action for praising the God of creation. Songs for help, songs of refuge, strength, forgiveness, and salvation. And so, please sit back and enjoy the accounts of these four songs. And there are so many more, but these songs have a common thing, and we're just going to go with four, because there's so many. You go into the book of Psalms, there's so many. And we're going to look at these this evening. The first, the first song we're going to look at is in Exodus chapter 15, and we will read to start off with verses 1 to 19. That's Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 through 19. There are actually two different authors to two different songs here. The first one is actually Moses himself, and then the second one is his sister Miriam. So that's basically kind of two wrapped up in one here in the same chapter. This is the song of Moses and Miriam. Here we see that a child was born against the edict of a wicked Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And if you remember that Moses' purpose, the Lord had chosen him to be the one to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt, and his seemingly existence, his, seemingly, his health was absolutely compromised with the edict of a Pharaoh that the firstborn male children be killed by the midwives, were their parents, and be thrown into the Nile River. And so basically, Moses is spared. He lives unlike many of the other babies. And look at the song that he writes here. In Exodus 15, we read, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel the song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea." The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare Him in habitation. My Father is God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host hath He cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank into the bottom as a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become a glorious in power." Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. And in the greatness of thine excellency, thou hast overthrown them that rose up against thee. Thou sentest forth thy wrath, which consumed them as stubble. And with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as an heap, and the depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil, my lust shall be satisfied upon them, I withdraw, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Thou didst blow with the wind, the sea covered them, they sank as 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 lead in the mighty waters. And we see here in verse eleven Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretchest out the right hand, the earth swallowed them. Thou in thy mercy hast led forth the people which thou hast redeemed. Thou hast guided them in thy strength unto thy holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the inhabitants of Palestina. Then the dukes of Edom shall be amazed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, shall take hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Canaan shall melt away." Fear and dread shall fall upon them by the greatness of thine arm. They shall be as still as stone. Till thy people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. For the horse of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea. And the Lord brought again the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And here is Moses. And the reason why that he could write this, and you can read this beautiful song, you can also see another song of his. In Psalm chapters 90 and 91, once again Moses comes back and he praises the Lord for the deliverance out of Egypt with his people, and that the Lord guided and directed him. And what's incredible here is the very one that took care of Moses, that watched over him when he was put in that little ark. He came down the Nile River as a little baby, do you have any idea what could have happened to him coming down the Nile River and it's little tiny this little arc with pitch and everything it's just tiny little he could have been eaten by crocodiles there were snakes there was all kinds of uh, forces against him what if the winds were blowing the wrong way what if it capsized the Lord had Moses perfectly protected he came down that Nile River and there was Pharaoh's daughter to intercept Moses, but guess who winds up taking care of him? His sister Miriam, and this little baby is protected, and she has this beautiful little song. This Miriam watches over and she shows joy in singing for Moses when he was in the ark of the bulrushes and it says in exodus fifteen twenty and Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels. And with dances, and Miriam answered them, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And this is going back to say, if you remember where basically 600 angry horsemen led by this wicked Pharaoh were going against all, of these, all these Israelites, then they're basically barricaded on the coast of the Red Sea. They're all looking at the horsemen because they're scared to death. But there was one that was looking at God. And who was that? Moses. Amen. And he takes the staff and he raises it up to God and he looks at the Lord and the Lord says, here you go. And there's the waters assuaging. And then all the Israelites go over and Pharaoh, as we were studying this morning in the Sunday school class, eyes that can't see, ears that can hear, and Moses takes his horsemen and dares to tread on that dry ground through the Red Sea and chase his people to kill them. So what does the Lord do? Crashes the sea right down on him. And the only reason that this could happen is a little baby was born named Moses, named after the water, and he was spared. That's the first song. Beautiful songs we see here all the way back in Exodus. And the second one, there's a whole, whole different motif here, if you remember the song of Hannah. Remember, Hannah could not bear children. And upon being stricken with grief, she was provoked by Paniah and made fun for not being able to bear children. And she spoke to the Lord, and when she was moving her lips, but not making any sound, even her husband said he accused her of drunkenness. And she, she, wrote, she said back, she said, I have not been drunk as I have been talking to the Lord. I am not a daughter of Belial. And she begged the Lord to open her womb, and Samuel was given to her. And here is her song. She was in just absolute joy. A baby was born. And that's part of the central part of the theme tonight is isn't it joyous whenever a little baby is born? How wonderful is that? Look at the song of Hannah. 1 Samuel, you can move over to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we will, we will read verses 1 through 10. This is Hannah's song. 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10. <clears throat> and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Let me stop just for a minute. Please pay attention to these words, because you're now going to hear, when we're finished, we're going to hear another song by an incredibly incredibly important woman. And she echoes the words that are actually in this prayer. So let's, let's read this again and see, and, and pay, pay attention and see if you can remember these words, some of them. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. There is none holy as the Lord for there is none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly, let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows, the bowels of the mighty men are broken, and they, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased, so that the barren hath borne seven. And she that hath many children is waxed feeble. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to see them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And He hath set the world upon them He will keep the feet of His saints, and the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall He thunder upon them. the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and He shall give strength unto His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. These words are incredible. These words are supposed to be just focused on a woman who was barren that was able to have a child. Hannah sounds like a prophetess. She's giving prophecy here. She's talking about the grateful mightiness and the unlimited power of God who has the power to open and close the womb. And I can tell from experience when my wife and I, it took us years to have kids. The doctors told us it was not possible. They had said all kinds of things. We've been to so many doctors and it got to the point where we were praying all throughout that, but it got to the point where Lisa and I sat down and we prayed to the Lord, pushed away all the doctors, and the Lord gave us seven children. Three are with Him, four are thankful, thank the Lord, four with us. But look at what the Lord can do. And this is not the only story that's come out of this church that's like that. It is the Lord that does this. These children are a blessing of God. And whenever a little baby is born, there's joy, there's singing. There's so much praise, and look at Hannah, how she cried, and she begged the Lord, and she wanted, she was on her knees, and she begged, and she prayed, and the Lord heard her. And it was in His time. And that's so important to us as Christians to remember, when we have things on our heart, we don't always get what we ask for, but no matter what, can we trust the Lord for His decision? That is so important, as we're honoring and we're trusting into the Lord. We see how Hannah had Samuel. And look at what a great man that she had, Samuel. This prophet. He was a judge, basically, of Israel. And he was the one that led. And he was the one that prayed. And he was the one that directed. And we see that's that's our second song this evening. Was Hannah's petition to the Lord was granted and answered. And look at how she responded. As we turn over... Go into the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 to 54. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 54. And does anyone recognize what this one's called? Amen. Amen. That's it. Luke chapter 1, verses 50, I'm sorry, 46 to 54. Here's Jesus' mother. Mary wrote the beautiful, magnificent It is liberally sprinkled with allusions and quotations from the Old Testament. And she is told by the angel Gabriel initially, before we go into the song, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost." And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What an incredible title. You ever imagine how many titles and how many names are for Jesus in the Bible? His ineffable name, Lord Jesus Christ. The I Am statements in the book of John. He is called, he, is, he, he, he said to himself, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine, ye are the branches. I am he. And there's so many names. And look at this one. He, shall, the, he is salvation. He shall save the people from their sins. This was revealed that Mary's heart and mind is saturated with the word of God. She knew the word of God and she loved it and she quoted it here. And actually if you remember what we read here with Hannah's prayer, it's very similar to Mary's. Mary knew this prayer. We see that this song it echoes from the prayers, the songs, the song of Hannah. These verses are also filled with doctrinal messages of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with allusions to the Law, the Psalms, and the Prophet. It's a point-by-point instruction on the covenantal promises of God. Mary gives all the glory to her Savior. She accepts no worship and has no way taken any credit for her being deity. All of it is pointed towards Jesus Christ, her Son. And she knew that she needed a Savior. And isn't it amazing when you go through the synoptic Gospels, Mary's mentioned a few times, and all of a sudden she just kind of vanishes and it's all taken up with the glory, the miracles, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And she pondered all these things in her heart. And look at what we see here. She has this beautiful song because the Lord has filled her with the Holy Ghost and she has this little baby. And here's the magnificent in Luke chapter one, verse forty six. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Remember the, the Abrahamic covenant. Remember where the Lord said, I will give you a seed. The number is the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And he promised Abraham this covenant. And even when Isaiah, I'm sorry, even when his son Isaac was to be sacrificed, the Lord was testing Abraham. He was testing his faith. And there is there, Isaac taken up to this mountain and this, his, his, little, his, his precious little son says to Abraham, Father, where's the sacrifice? And what did he say? The Lord will provide. And so he's laid out on the altar of obedience to God, ready to be quartered and to be bled out as an altar of obedience. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the angel says to take the knife from thy hand. And he places a little, a, a little ram in the bulrushes, and he spares Isaac's life. And there we see the inception from that point forward, a seed of generations. And what had happened? That very same mountain that Isaac was to be, uh, to be sacrificed on is the very same one that this little baby Jesus, as we're going to see here in the fourth and final song, he's the one that would go to that mountain. And he would shed his blood on the cross of Calvary to save us from our sins. And there was no substitute for him because he's the unblemished lamb. Look at these beautiful songs. And Mary, right around Mary, this, the, the Magnificent, you see the song of Elizabeth. You see the song of Zechariah. And they were so excited about John the Baptist coming into the world. He's in Elizabeth's womb and he's jumping for joy, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there Zachariah has his song. And look at all that's going on here. And isn't this incredible Christmas message? This is my favorite of all. I love them all, but I love this because this last one is one that I try to incorporate every year if, if I'm given the honor, uh, given the blessing of being able to give the, the, a Christmas message. And it's the one of this little cameo appearance of this little man named Simeon. He just comes and he goes in Scripture. He appears, he disappears, but it's such a massive, beautiful story, and it really brings together the love for Jesus Christ. And let's just go over a little bit. Luke, and we we read a little bit of it this morning, Pastor Olson, uh, he gave us a a real good um, idea of it. But look at Luke chapter 2, and then we read verses 21 to 35. And look look at everything that's going on here. This is incredible. And when eight days were accomplished, for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord." and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple... And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and here's the song, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. First of all, if Mary is deity, why did she have to go through a process of purification? If you go into a Catholic Bible, you will read this account. If you're deity, you don't need purification. She was there because the Lord commanded her to be there. How long have we been waiting for the promised Messiah, and how long have we been watching for Him? There was one who eagerly eagerly awaited the coming Messiah, and he makes this brief little appearance in the New Testament. He makes a brief appearance in the Bible, but the magnitude of this story is incredible. We see the arrival of this child. Mary and Joseph here, they present Jesus for the dedication for the Lord's service. He's taken, circumcised on the eighth day as Pastor Olson said this morning regarding the coagulation. And it was the time, it was on the eighth day that it was given by the old law. And it, he was Because of being ceremonial and clean, seven days after childbirth, the need for purification came from the law in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If a woman have conceived seed and born a man child, then she shall be unclean. Seven days, according to the days of the separation for her infirmity, shall be unclean. And in the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. And she shall then continue in the blood of her purifying three and thirty days. She shall touch no hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying be fulfilled. This was given by a prophecy. It was given by the Mosaic law where this is actually supposed to take place. And Mary honors this. She knew the law. She knew the Old Testament. She knew the prophecies. And she was one of the few that knew the Messiah had come. And she knew that it was her son. She would have to offer up a lamb. I mean, she was not able to offer up a lamb because her and Joseph were poor, but they would be able to offer up a dove or a pigeon. Going back to Leviticus 12, verses 6 through 8. If she was poor, her offering was two doves or pigeons. And the fact that Mary gives the turtle doves and pigeons reflects her and Joseph's financial condition. What do we read in the prophecy in Isaiah 53? He's a tender plant, a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see Him, there is no beauty. We should desire Him. Christ comes into this world. He was very, very lowly. He's, He's taken to be dedicated to the service of the Lord. We go to verses 25 to 26. Here's Simeon, this elderly man who received a prophecy and a promise very much different than the prophets of old. This man was told... You will not taste, you will not see death until you see the coming Messiah. Can you imagine what it was like for him to carry that every day? Think about that. He is told the Christ child is coming. He is then told it will happen soon. So soon it will be in his lifetime. That's why I've heard many messages regarding this passage and not all the times during Christmas, but a lot of, lot of uh, pastors and a lot of theologians say they don't know what age Simeon was. But I totally agree with Pastor Olson this morning. I believe he was aging. I believe he was up there. I believe he was there encouraging the elderly. I believe he was there to encourage and lift up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he knew the Old Testament very well. He's given a unique promise. You will not die until you first behold the Messiah, literally and physically. Can you imagine if that happened, you were me, and we told others that we were going to see the Messiah? What would people say? Would they think we're crazy? What torment may Simeon have endured with this prophecy he carried with him? Did he go in and out of the temple, trying to look every day and trying to say, hey, I am here, I have been told by an angel, I have been told that I am not going to die until I see the Messiah. They might have thought he was crazy. He was a devout Christian, and he loved the Lord. You know, the people had been tormented for years. And for the Jew, all hope of the Messiah coming had just about been eradicated by the Pharisaical and the Sadducee establishment with the Sanhedrin. They had basically eradicated any thought of Jesus Christ, this man from Nazareth who was below a Galilee ever being the Messiah. But Mary knew. Zechariah knew. Elizabeth knew. Simeon knew. A handful of people knew. Imagine the ridicule that those that loved Jesus took when they would mention His name. One of the most beautiful names for Jesus Christ and the Bible, and they're all wonderful. Here is the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel, and look at the harshness that Israel is facing today, even while we speak, and how they're being attacked, and how hard it is. What are some of Jesus' names in the Bible? Son of Man, so- the Sovereign, or Adonai, Emmanuel, God with us. And we see one time in the Bible, He's called the consolation of Israel. So what does Simeon do? He goes into the temple and even though he was grown old, maybe his eyes had grown very weak, he sees Mary and Joseph, he takes the baby in his arms and then what? Would he question if this child was the Messiah? Would he say, this is no king? Would he say, how can this be the Son of God with such poor parents? Isn't he of a royal line? Isn't he supposed to be on a white horse? Isn't he supposed to be uh, a royal. It's fascinating how in the Old Testament, when King David would sing, the angels, the prophets, or other believers would sing. They would be praising the King of Kings. We see we just saw here in the Magnificat. There's the prophecy of Zacharias, the songs of the angels in chapter two, verse fourteen. Now we see the song of Simeon. Simeon sings what is referred to in the Latin as the Nunc Dimittis named after the opening of Simeon's song. Its definition as a noun is translated in a sense that it is a prayer, a prayer of song of Simeon, a canticle of Simeon. And we, saw what he, we just saw what he sung, and he had seen enough. He sees this little beautiful baby, and he says, I've seen it. Let thou thy servant depart in peace, for I have seen thy salvation." And the question is this morning, I mean this evening, is that, is, is that the objective in our lives? To see the salvation of Jesus Christ? Is that everything to us? Simeon did not need to see anything else. He was ready. He did not have to wait around to see miracles or to be convinced who Jesus was. It was on his heart. He had waited and he knew. It's incredible. It says, I am ready. And Simeon is ready for the Lord to take him. Others in Old Testament that felt the same. Moses begged for his death to be with the Lord. Job cursed the day that he was born. Jeremiah longed for his release. These men suffered great torment in their life and were ready to go. Look at Paul the Apostle. We finished the book of Acts. It's been since roughly September of 2017. In the adult Sunday school class, we've been in the book of Acts. And look how Paul... <laughs> and he's ready to depart, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, towards the end he says, he doesn't say, I'm going to perish, Timothy, or I'm going to die. He says, I am going to be departing from this earth. I'm going on a trip. My soul is going to be leaving this sin-ridden, withering body, and I'm going to be with my Savior. Remember earlier on in Philippians, Paul said, I am in a strait betwixt two. He's in the grip of ambivalence, whether it's to stay here and to honor the Lord and continue the work, or he said to be with Christ, which was what? Far better. Isn't it incredible how we are tenaciously holding on to every breath and we're doing everything we can to stay here? You're a Christian, you love the Lord. There's so many ways that people have complicated what happens to us after we die, and here Simeon clarifies it i 've seen my salvation. How long did he last after that? I wonder if he died that night. I wonder if he died the next morning when he saw the Savior and his, he was freed in his heart. And what did he maybe did he say to the Lord? he got on his knees, Lord, take me home i 'm ready to go." You see, our precious dear sister, Miss Doris, 93 years old, she was ready. It was hard for her coming down to the wire the last few weeks, and she was ready to go. She loved the Lord. We see that Christ is set for the rising, and those who receive Him are raised up in 1 Peter two nine, But ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Ephesians 2.6 we read, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And to finish up here in the conclusion, what do all these songs have in common? What is their central motif? A child had been born. What praise and adulation, joy unspeakable unspeakable it is when a child comes into the world. Look at the joy. There is the Savior. When the Savior comes into the world, look at the joy from Mary. Look at the joy from Zacharias and Elizabeth and from Simeon here. What did Christ leave? See, we often talk about what He came down to. You ever think about what He left to come down to us? If we ever imagine what he actually left, maybe it puts it in a better perspective of how giving and how he stripped himself of everything to leave the ivory palaces of heaven, written by Henry Burklau. the only song he ever wrote. Beautiful song. And that song was laid on his heart when, he, when he, was, he was going to church. He wrote it in 1915. And he talks about what Jesus left. He comes down to this earth... Stripped of his throne, stripped of his glory, stripped of his dignity to be sent where? Into a war zone. The people come down and his own people starts off in John chapter 1 verse, verse I think it's 50. And even Nathanael says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? His own disciples turned their back on him, deserted him. He was spat upon. He goes in to preach into his own city and they grab him to throw him over a cliff. And he walks through him. He said, my hour had not come yet. He goes in and he sees the temple and he turns the tables over because of the wickedness of the money being changed back and forth in these temples and totally defying the Lord. And he turns over the tape and not one person laid a hand on him. Isn't that amazing? In and of itself, he healed. And then the Pharisees come back after he healed and he raised the dead. Will you please show us a sign? He says, I will not show a sign to you. You are a wicked generation. What else do you want me to do? I have raised people from the dead. I've healed their eyesight. What else do you need to see? Then with all of that, he's beaten. Kangaroo court tries him three different times with the, with the Jewish council and the Roman government. They take him and they crucify him. And this is what he leaves glory to come down to this earth as a little baby where the heaven, that's why I love lights. I love the lights of Christmas. Because it's supposed to be significant of those beautiful heavenly lights where the shepherds were watching over their flocks by night and the glory of the Lord shone round about and the angels were singing. Can you imagine what that sounded like when a Christ child came into this earth? I want to end with this to bring this all together. This central motif is it's joyful when a baby comes into the world. Where's the singing when the babies were terminated? Where was the singing in Exodus? Exodus. When the little babies were being thrown into the Nile River and they were terminated, but Moses was spared. Where was the singing when the little babies were terminated by Herod? And he sent the Magi to find Jesus and said, I want to worship him. He's a liar. He wanted to kill him. Where was the singing there? Where is the singing when a child is harmed or terminated today? Where is the singing and the joy? Where is the joy in the public schools when little children are taught all these horrible things? There's no joy in this. The singing and the joy comes from knowing that God creates these beautiful little children, sends them down to us, and there, Anna knows the joy in it. She's talking about how her little grandchildren love to just come around her to hear her give a Sunday school class, and they love to hear about Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. That's just, my wife taught for years. The kids love to hear from her. One little girl comes up one day, I was talking about it last week, and she says... I went to school and somebody said something bad about Jesus and I defended him in public school. Remember that? And that's what it's all about. There's joy when a little baby comes to the earth. And there's great joy even today when Jesus Christ came to this earth as a little baby. He even stripped himself of his age and came down as a little, tiny, helpless baby. And I'll say this at the end. I still think it's amazing that the bottom line of these great big corporations, their bottom line is dependent on the birthday of Jesus to make the money they need to finish off their year. As much as they will not promote his name, target, you won't see Jesus the baby, you'll see all these rainbow flags and all this other stuff. You won't see anything about Jesus, but they depend at the end of the year on what happens at Christmas and how much money goes to those turnstiles going through there. Isn't it amazing that that's the big one? And so this evening, I'm just encouraging you, I know that Christmas was not on December 25th. Christ no way came into this earth December 25th. But from history, going back, I mean, I could get into the whole history of that, but actually, he was probably born in April, where the shepherds were watching over their flocks, or maybe May. But it's the time that's been dedicated for us to remember him, and I think it's a wonderful time of fellowship. I love it, I always have. And I think we should learn from this, is that, Jesus Christ died for your sins because he came down as a little baby and he resurrected from the dead. And if he can do that, that eradicates all the other self-proclaiming false gods. Unless they could resurrect from the dead, they're liars. And all of the people that follow them are liars. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let's, uh, let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee and praise Thee for these beautiful songs and they, they're beautiful. They uplift and they praise and they worship Thy name and they magnify the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thou art the great I Am. So many other beautiful songs are written in Scripture from David and so many others. And we thank Thee for illuminating our hearts this evening. I pray that as we leave here this evening, we'll be able to say today that it has been good to be in the Lord's house. Bless each family here this evening and please watch over them. All the needs... Many prayer requests have come in for unsaved loved ones and those that are ill and those that are having problems. We pray for them. And we just ask, Lord, that thou wouldst have mercy upon us this evening, Lord, and that we'll be with our families tomorrow. Lord, I pray that thy name will be magnified, not just on December 25th, but every day. Lord, bless us and keep us from falling. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.